This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP for a free downloadable book. TWIP is also brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP, T-W-I-P. This week on TWIP, Steve Simon talks Yellowstone, Sony's new panoramic cybershot, and guest David Dushman talks about his new book, Within the Frame. All that and much more coming up next on episode number 89 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another exciting episode of This Week in Photography, a.k.a. TWIP. Today on the show, we've got Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Guys, I missed you last week. I know. We got, we've got we got lots to catch up on. And, of course, Aaron Mailer is also here. Hey, guys. Hey. So it's just us three. Yeah. We're missing Alex Lindsay because he had other stuff to do, as Alex tends to get mired in. And we've also, we're also missing, um, who's that other guy, that curmudgeonly guy? He's probably playing with that new Kindle that they came out with. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He, you know, he he probably knew I was going to ask him about it. That's why he bowed out of the show. And he works yeah, for Amazon, so of course, uh, you know, they yeah. probably I, get like ten of them. I pre-ordered mine before Bezos left the stage. So really, you actually ordered it? Really, you're going to? I actually did. Do you, I actually do did. you have the smaller Kindle? I have the Kindle One, and uh, the Kindle Two I thought was interesting, but I wasn't ready to make the jump yet. I was looking for some other things in it, and uh, so when this one came along, I'm definitely into it because I want that larger eight and a half by eleven, and I want that PDF rendering capability. Because one of the things that I'm always wanting to do is move over technical manuals and books and things that I have, particularly technical manuals that I have in PDF format. Yeah. I want to read them on my Kindle. The conversions don't work really well on the small one for that. But since they render faithfully like a printed page on this, that did it for me. So I wish I what? wish it could render photography and you know, so I could look at photography books and instructional type manuals that show you tips and techniques, that kind That's of stuff. That's definitely the it's future. It's not a black and white screen though. I wonder how black and white images it's probably just sort of like bad newspaper printing. It's sixteen shades of gray. They you know, I mean Fred can speak to that. You've got the Kindle too. Yeah, so it's not bad. I mean it's it's definitely like black and white photos, but it's mm-hmm. not quite as crisp and contrasty as black and white photos. But wouldn't frame the image on the Kindle and put it on your wall. I would not, no. I, I, I will say that some of the early hands-on from that show, some of the commenters on the blog said that they felt that the, the contrast was better and that the blacks were blacker um, and that they felt it was a more crisp image. So, How much uh, is this, guys? How much is it going to cost? Just shy of 500 bucks, right, Eric? Yeah. Well, you know, look at the Epson uh, tank with that beautiful screen. You kind of mm-hmm. you're gonna have to ask yourself. I mean, I know it's cool and I know what it does, but you know, it, it just seems that with the technology, it would be really nice to have a more resolute screen. Right. I know that's. Do you coming. have one of those, Steve? No. I, oh, I have an Epson one. I have an older version. Screen is gorgeous. And I mean, that's we the know thing that, that you can stick your compact flash card in, and it sucks all the images. Exactly. Right. Yeah, P three thousand or somewhere around there. I, yeah, I think I, I have, have the P three thousand. Yeah, I have the two thousand. It was it came out before you were born, Aaron. But uh, <laughs> it still has a beautiful screen. It's are you, are you finally, are Steve? Are you finding you using that a lot? Like, I didn't see you bring it on the Yellowstone trip. What no, you- I really just take it with me when I'm going to on long trips like Africa, yeah. where I know I know I may not be. Um, uh, near electricity and won't be able to download. So that's really the main use as an insurance for when I, I, can, I can't be sure that I'm going to have uh, electricity. So you have the, which model do you have, the P3000? I have the 2000, um, okay. which uh, which is really kind of outdated. I would like to upgrade eventually. It's just I'm, I don't have any big trips planned. And again, I use it kind of rarely and uh, i know there's a few others that are on the market uh, but it is good it is good to have when you don't want to take your computer with you and you want to make sure that you clear your cards or back them up so do you do you trust it i mean do you do you when you import your images onto your p2000 do you delete the cf cards or do you maintain them in both places 
I, I try not to, but I would trust it. I've, I've used it enough to be able to trust it. But it's often a situation where I'll download it and maybe I don't have to um, reformat those cards. But if I did have to reformat, um, uh, yes, I would trust it, although I'm always a little nervous and I'm anxious to download uh, or upload it to the computer and back it up. I'm going to um, start one. I'm going to build one myself and call it eggs in one basket. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's how I'm going to market it. Hey, come buy my eggs in one basket <laughs> CF card reader. You know, trust All right. Me. <laughs> well, maybe uh, Aaron will invest in that, I think. I, I, I use mine very much like the way Steve described it, is that I, I try not to leave the shoot unless I have the cards in hand and a backup on, on that as well. Not erase the cards if I can possibly help it. So I'm yeah. leaving the scene with two copies, essentially. So, so, so it's also actually you, good no. to have guys too if uh, if you are traveling and you know I mean if you're if if you have to leave your stuff somewhere if you have to and I know you don't like to but uh, to at least that that you can carry with you you can download the stuff and have a backup so you good know point. God forbid something happened to your laptop or your hard drive you've got mm -hmm. you know I always like to have you know a backup drive or that um, on my person if I for whatever reason have to leave. My other stuff in a place. So, does, when I, you plug it into your when you plug it into your Mac, does it just show up as another drive, or does it show up as like a CF card reader that then Aperture says, "Do you want to import both. these images?" Yeah, both. Uh, it, it, both. It, it will work as a CF card reader. You can put CF cards in and read through them, but um, also it it just appears as like a USB drive at okay. that point. Okay, so you can store whatever you want on it. I guarantee you too that um, with iPhone 3.0 update coming out this summer, there are going to be a slew of attachments because they're opening the port on the bottom of the iPhone and the iPod Touch. Mm -hmm. So I, I've always envisioned a little unit, you know, not unlike the P3000 physically, that has a slot in it that you slide an iPhone or an iPod Touch into into the docking cradle of it, and then there the hard drive and the CF reader are part of that unit. So, but it, it would use the iPhone as the gorgeous front end, you know, as far as the screen and the software and the ability to upload from the field and all that. Yeah. There's got to be kind of a prosthetic device coming out soon that's going to do that. Hmm. Well, uh, moving on from that a little bit, Steve, we missed you last week. I had just landed and gave my perspective on the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop um, up at Yellowstone. But uh, you definitely avoided the show, but now we have <laughs> you. <laughs> something I about you being at 30,000 feet or between, between the park and New York or something. I had a, a rough trip back, uh, flights canceled, uh, yada, yada, but uh, my experience, as I'm sure you uh, communicated, was fantastic. Uh, all the uh, winners, and, and this contest is amazing because it costs nothing. You enter one picture, and before, before these winners knew it, they were at Yellowstone National Park staying in a beautiful uh, hotel um, and you know eating good food although maybe a little too much Subway. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, just, ha we had a wonderful experience. The weather was always changing as it does at the Yellowstone National Park. Uh, it was snowing, it was sunny, it was cold, it was warm. We saw wildlife, as I'm sure you, you talked about it, although I didn't see all the wildlife that, that some of the others did. Um, did you see, you saw the, the wolf, didn't you? We saw two wolves, yeah. Yeah, those are. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna post those in my Flickr stream hopefully within the next day or so. But awesome. yeah, we were yeah me and one of the contestants were driving out into the park and we were talking about you know what what what's the 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 kind of piece de resistance of Yellowstone that all these wildlife photographers are hoping to get and we we both agree that it was getting a picture of a wolf. About two minutes later, there's a wolf crossing the street in front of us. <laughs> And another one walking behind us. So yeah, we talked about that on the show a little bit yeah. last yeah, week. And, but yeah, you no, know, we saw saw bison, and actually, I learned. I I was reminded a little something. I've just become so dependent on autofocus because it works so well. But I was in a situation um, photographing bison in a light but big flake snowstorm, um, and that's when autofocus gets you know stymied it gets all thrown off and I, I I just was a little slow in realizing that um, you know the the flakes were big enough that I could I wasn't focusing uh, on auto with the on the bison itself but maybe on some of the snow before it so you know that was the first time in a very long time that I really had to kind of you know go into manual um, and and manually tweak uh, the autofocus and uh, and that was a good little lesson too you now, know in terms of before we go Further, you want to talk a little bit about the the 
the photography contest that's going on now for the next Aperture Nature workshop? Yeah, f64.com. I think this is the final of the four workshops. Um, I was lucky enough to, to go to three of them. I, I won't be coming out to the next one. Um, I think Scott is going to have Rick Salmon is one of the people. I don't know, Fred, if, mm -hmm. if you're going or not. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a, an amazing experience. You get a, a, a lot of prizes. I think upwards of $3,000, north of $3,000 worth of prizes, including a Drobo. Mm -hmm. and, um, but more importantly, you have this one-on-one -on -one kind of intimate environment um, to learn from you know, your fellow students and your fellow professionals. You learn Aperture, which is my post-processing uh, software of choice. I, I really, really love it. And, and it's just a, an overall wonderful experience. I mean, every time I've gone, I've learned a lot from it, and I've gotten some good pictures from it, too. Yeah. What, one of the, the nuggets that I took away came from you, actually, Steve, when that was the, uh, it was the, the last day before the show, or before the flight, and uh, you were telling me about the, the different modes within my camera, my Nikon, that I could sort of quickly get into different modes. Right, right. Yeah, using the custom banks. Um, it is a, a powerful uh, part of, and I suspect other manufacturers have it, but certainly the Nikon system, regardless of the camera you have, and that's what I like about it in that, you know, if you can start out with a, a low-end camera and be very familiar as you get deeper into photography and start to, to upgrade, but you can actually save a bunch of custom settings as a bank. So, for instance, if you're in a fast-moving situation and you're doing a kind of, uh, you know, action, action shots, you can preset a bank for that where um, you've already pre-chosen a dynamic autofocus, which um, will be able to track your subject. Yep. Um, and a, and a bunch of other uh, uh, kind of uh, features that will work along with that kind of photography. So, yep. yeah, it's 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 a it's a sometimes um, under under. I think a lot of people don't even realize it's there. But once you do and you start to explore, you realize that this could really help you um, not miss as many pictures as you might be missing. Absolutely. Let's take a quick second to give a nod to our sponsors, uh, one of which is Audible. The other is Squarespace.com. Uh, the podcast is actually brought to you by those guys. And Audible is the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. They've got over 50,000 titles to choose from. And that can be downloaded and played back anywhere, including on airplanes and that kind of thing. Uh, do you guys have any picks of the week or picks from your Audible collections? Oh, I certainly do. I'm always listening to, uh, to an audio book. Wait, what <laughs> you, what are you listening from... to right now? I, I, oh. I would bet that it has something to do with history or something, something like that. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, there's a <laughs> He's so predictable. The last two, actually, uh, kind of fall in my usual, you know, I guess somewhat narrow uh, interest here as far as that goes. Um, focus, actually, your focus, yeah. not narrow, focused. Oh, okay, my focused, my focused interest. Um, at the moment, uh, I'm about halfway through uh, another uh, history. In this case, it's a... Uh, uh, truly, it's a non-fictional history, in all truth, because the other thing I listen to a lot, obviously, are, are historical novels. Um, but uh, this is called Legacy of Ashes, The History of the CIA uh, by Tim Weiner. And uh, it is absolutely fascinating, I have to say. It's um, it's pretty deep. It's uh, also pretty disturbing in a lot of ways, because uh, the the premise of the entire book is, is not a flattering one to the CIA uh, by any means. In fact, uh, it seems to be a litany of one kind of disaster after another throughout the entire history of the CIA. So halfway through it, I've already... Uh, you know, lost a tremendous amount of faith in the concept of the intelligence <laughs> gathering in the United States, but uh, it's certainly worth hearing, to say the least. So, I just are there cameras the, uh, involved? Sorry, are there cameras <laughs> involved? Uh, camera um, yeah, to some extent, um, okay. I could think of a few points along there that would uh, <laughs> certainly reference photography. Um, not in the greatest That's light way, in some way, cases. Steve, way to throw Aaron under the bus for picking <laughs> yeah, exactly. something that wasn't photography related. And he's got he's the only guy with the one right right just now. I still have Outliers, which I think was my pick of the week in 1988. But I just don't have the time to get to this stuff, um, and and that's the last one that I downloaded, which is a, um, I think a, a really really uh, interesting um, idea. 
Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, the podcast is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're an easy way to build, host, and manage your website. They've got a an excellent UI, which, Aaron, you can talk about a little bit because you're, you were just in it about two seconds ago, right? Yep. I am <clears throat> continually impressed with the, the whole Squarespace design, and they're always adding features to the system. Um, and Twiplog is, uh, is hosted at Squarespace. Um, we're uh, getting ready to add a whole lot more content here and, and change the look of a few things on the site, all of which can be done very, very quickly. So uh, I've uh, recommended Squarespace personally to a lot of other people since I started building Twiplog. Uh, my father actually is about to launch his blog, is absolutely loving it. Um, a couple other organizations here in the area that uh, that are, came to me the other day asking about uh, you know how to host their sites, and hands down, I've recommended Squarespace in every case since starting our blog here. So very cool. Well, if users want to try it out, they can or they can look at our blog and go to squarespace.com slash twip or actually that's where they can go for a free trial correct i would say for good examples look at some of the other examples more so than twip log until we get out of our beta phase here because <laughs> yeah. we're constantly changing ours all the time but still you can look at it and see it as a work oh, in yeah. progress but if you want a free trial go to squarespace.com slash twip no credit card needed uh try it out build your website if you don't like it you know move on um, and if you decide to purchase uh, the uh, the subscription or purchase the service, you can get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. And moving on in the news today, uh, there's a new camera out from our folks over, or from the folks over at Sony. It's a CyberShot DSC-HX1. got to love those names. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> rolls off the tongue, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, let's look at some license plates and name our product. <laughs> the next license plate we'd see, we'll just name the product. So, Steve, you were, you guys, you were reading up on this thing. What does it do that's special? Well, the thing that uh, caught my attention, I happened to be on the, um, I somehow was, was linked to the B&H site, and they actually did a video describing this, this camera. And, and what this camera has that I'm unsure if other ones have, and maybe you guys, if you know of it, please uh, chime in. But it will allow you to do in-camera panoramics. And the way it works, from my understanding and watching the video, is you basically kind of pan the scene that you want to pan at a certain speed and the camera will tell you if you're going too fast or too slow and I believe you keep the shutter depressed the whole way and then lift off and and then uh, the camera does its magic and stitches together in camera this beautiful looking panoramic from the video that I had seen. Um, You can do vertical panoramics, you can do uh, horizontal ones, you can even kind of you know, shake it up a little bit for really kind of creative effects. It's so easy, and I, I, I have to admit, I haven't tried stitching, and I know it's easy to do in Photoshop, but to see it um, done in camera like this, it was, it looked like just so much fun. And, and why not do a panoramic wherever you are, um, because it's that easy to do. Now, we were talking about in a previous show, I think it might, might may have been as soon as last week, but we were talking about manual mode versus some of the program modes. And we got off on this tangent about how, what does it mean? Or actually this was a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about Trey Radcliffe and how one of his photos got denied or not wasn't wasn't being considered for this contest or inclusion in the Smithsonian because it was shot it was an HDR photo so mm-hmm. what I was bringing up was where do you draw the line and a lot of people brought it up but where do you draw the line with this stuff especially when you start doing these techniques in camera so the actual file that the camera spits out hasn't been you know holding up quote fingers touched so if you can have a camera that can create a pano is that continue can is that considered manipulation or if you can have a camera that will with one click of the shutter essentially shoot a hdr and give you a file is that Mm. manipulation where do you fall on that steve yeah well i mean it is what it is and and you know it's obvious that in order to create this panoramic uh on digital cameras um you know, there's certain known factors or ways to do it. So, frankly, you know, whether you're going stitch to stitch it together um, in post-processing or the camera does it for you, it's sort of a similar kind of thing that's happening. Um, it is a real panoramic. Uh, you know, it, it depends on, on the use of it. I mean, you know, you can, as long as, I don't have a problem with doing stuff to photography, but you have to admit that this is how it's achieved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things that are, are kind of um, created or conceptualized and then 
and then sort of passed off as real, I have a problem with that. I mean, I had a problem with it to a certain extent in the film days when people would, you know, heavily manipulate using filters and you get these kind of beautiful but really surreal landscapes that are, you know, said to be, you know, this I was there and this is what it looked like. So it really comes down to uh, a question of honesty in terms of the but work then, that you, how do you How do you draw the line on that? Because you could, for example, simplifying it. So say you look at a scene and the sky is a certain blue. And you're, mm-hmm. because of the way you were born, you have certain... You know, certain combinations or numbers of rods and cones in your eye. So the guy standing next to you may have fewer. So he sees kind of a washed out sky. You have a bunch of them. You see this blue, luscious sky. So recreating that to display either on a computer screen, which needs calibration, or on a printed piece of paper, which can vary depending on the lighting conditions. Who's to say what was correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone is really saying this is correct or this isn't. But I think, for the most part, we can probably agree when something is a little bit over the top or looks a little bit, uh, a little bit different from our interpretation of a, a natural rendition of something. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, Fred, really, it's you know, we're, we're creative pursuits, and you know, whether it's traditional film or darkroom or you know, shot under different lighting conditions. I guess you know, I, you know, I'm a I'm a photojournalist, and 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 and. You know, honesty um, in terms of what you're shooting and what you're communicating. You know, if if you do stuff to it, just you know, tell people. You know, I created this cool effect by doing this and that, and that's totally cool. Um, I don't think it's a problem. You know, I don't think it's really even an an, an issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was an example. If the contest says no manipulation, um, perhaps you know HDR would be considered to be a manipulated image and you know tray stuff is is pretty amazing to see but often you know you look at it and you go because we're par- partially because we're not used to seeing it yeah. but it, it it does look a little bit um you know uh accelerated in terms of the reality <laughs> factor yeah my my i i've said it once i'll say it again i think all pixels were born to be punished and I'm going to punish them. <laughs> Says former Adobe boy. guy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the Adobe in me coming out. Yeah, pixels yeah. pixels were born to be punished. You know. Well, you know. To, seriously, I just think, of course, Steve. If you're shooting photojournalistic type stuff where you're trying to be as true to what the situation was as possible, of course, hands on. Yeah. But you know, we said on the show before, if you're creating a piece of art to hang o- hang over your fireplace. Who cares? You know, who cares what you shot it with? Who cares what you processed it in? And who cares wh- how you got to where you got? It's a piece of art yeah, at that point, right? Yeah. The so. problem is, Fred. Like, if you put yourself out as sort of this journalistic photographer, mm-hmm. and then you kind of do something different, you know, in a different thing, and you have to be a little bit careful in in terms of putting into doubt uh, the stuff that you you consider to be but then how do you, how, but like how do you how do you draw the line there so if you had a piece that you you know you had this say it's a, this poster that's hanging on the wall um and you did some manipulation to get it to where it was so it looks nothing like the scene that you saw but you brought it into photoshop you know aperture whatever and you you did stuff to it but it still looks plausible that it could have happened like you rendered it do you are you truthful and at the bottom put a little little thing in the corner that says image manipulated from its true raw file or do you just let people enjoy it for what it is and no, I, I guess you know from my perspective I wouldn't do that you know that's just not what I'm interested in so you know I, I listen as hobbyists as twip listeners out there I mean yeah experiment away try what try it all but um, you know when you make a decision to sort of uh, pursue a certain area of photography, and and that's the one area that you've got to be the most careful with, and that is the journalistic documentary realm. Unless, of course, you, as part of your artistic vision, you're going to be manipulating, and and in your artist statement, it's there. But uh, anyway, I guess we don't want to beat this uh, too far too yeah. far down. Yeah, because I'll because I'll win. I, I know. I do have one. <laughs> Aaron, I do have one please. question there. Yeah, I mean, just just listening to what what Steve was saying, and, and not to be adversarial with this, but my question is, um, you know, are are you suggesting though that if someone chooses a a journalistic approach in photography as a career that that they shouldn't you know publicly ever per, you know pursue creative photography as well? I mean, for the sense of of clouding their image in that sense. I mean, uh, well, I. Yeah, I do see what you're saying, and, and frankly, I think you need to keep them separate. And and mm-hmm. you know, just just as as if you're a serious kind of um, 
documentary photographer. Some people might say, you know, if you're going to do other things, you know, take mm-hmm. them off that web, get a separate website and, and let that incarnation. Yeah, that's what I was getting to is where's the delineation? I mean, is the career choice that, oh, I should never release anything creative that I pursue because oh. I don't want anybody ever questioning, you know, my, my journalistic integrity in that regard? Or, or is it just a matter of, of finding a way to present them completely think, separately from one another. Yeah, I think that's it. Just the way I don't like my broccoli to touch the corn. You want to keep you want to <laughs> keep your segmented paper plates, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to keep your stuff really separate because, you know, the documentary stuff it, it tends to be serious um, mm-hmm. and it tends to be real. You're saying this is this is a reportage, this is reality from my perspective, my subjective perspective. But if you um, on the same page, if you have images that you've taken Fred's head and put it on your body, and or whatever the creative factor is, um, right. you run the risk of putting into doubt, um, you know, some your of the, the journalistic yeah. stuff you do. Yeah, I can so. see that. So, jump, <laughs> jumping into the the picks of the week, moving on from that, um, Aaron, uh, I know you have a pretty interesting pick. What is it? There's something that you bought. Oh. Did you just buy this thing? Um, well, these are, I mean, it's its not a huge pick by any means, and it's actually kind of a follow-up pick in a way to uh, a few weeks ago when I recommended the Maha uh, AA and AAA charger, the NIM charger, mm-hmm. which I love and, and use constantly. Um, one thing I have encountered, though, over the years, regardless of the charger, and, and the charger I recommended a few weeks ago was especially good in that it, it does kind of rejuvenate batteries, soft charges them, keeps them healthy. But regardless of that, regular NIM batteries, even high-quality ones, there's one thing about them um, is that they lose, they self-discharge actually fairly rapidly compared to most. I mean, you can charge up a great set of NIM batteries and within 30 days they're just about flat, even if you haven't used them, uh, which is why they're terrible for things like remote controls for your TV and stuff. You should stick with alkaline batteries for that because it'll last years. But um, but I use uh, AA batteries all the time, NIMs for uh, flashes like Canon 580 EX2 and, and some other models like that. And if I go a few weeks sometimes that I've had my batteries charged and then I grab them and need to go do a shoot, I'll suddenly find out that they're 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 dead sometimes in the sitting in the unused flash. And so I'm always having to, you know, charge them again just before I use them. Well, recently um, the new kind of wave of NIM batteries are uh, what are called the pre-charged or slow discharge NIMs, and they retain like 80 to 85 percent of their charge over the course of a year, which is you know tremendous compared to a regular NIM battery. And they also generally ship pre-charged. Not that I care so much about that. I mean, I, I get them out of the package. I'm probably just going to charge them right away anyway before I use them. But they do come out of the package pre-charged, just like a set of alkalines, and uh, you could use them immediately. And so I actually bought, I did a little research, and some of the ones that I found on Amazon are under the brand name of Eneloop, E-N-E-L-O-O-P. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also bought some Duracells. And there's some indication that some of those Duracells actually may be made by Eneloop and branded. I'm not sure. Maybe that's not the case. But I bought one set of Eneloop and one set of Duracells. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes because I don't have a, like a model number exactly on hand here. Um, but uh, they're a little lower um, you know, milliamp um, power than, than some of my other higher-end ones. But they are working beautifully. Uh, they definitely came around the container ready to go. And I've had them for long enough now that um, I'm finding that a couple of weeks after I've taken them out of the charger or even just left them in the flash, it's still perfectly healthy and ready to go when I turn it on. So Very there's good. a lot to be said for your batteries not being flat <laughs> yeah. the moment you pick them up. Got to so. be ready at all times. Yep. Steve, Steve Simon, uh, I don't want to read the what you have in the wiki about you. <laughs> <laughs> your pick, but please tell us about the mother of all L lenses. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm a. I do ninety percent of my photography probably with a twenty-four to seventy millimeter lens. But uh, the last couple of picks uh, have been these amazingly humongous lenses. And when I think huge lens, I usually think of Scott Bourne. And uh, this is one that even Scott might think twice about uh, purchasing, and it's a used lens at that. It's the Canon 1200mm f5.6 lens, and it weighs about 36 pounds. It's 33 inches uh, long, and it's priced actually in the B&W little piece by Alan Wheats, who works there. Um, At first, at the top of the article, they price it at (laughs) $120,000, but at the end of the article, it's only $99,000, so you know, maybe you'll think about buying it. That's, that's quite a deal. Um, apparently, there's only about 
you know, between 12 and 20 that were ever made uh, on a special order basis since 1993. Uh, Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, uh, Canon Professional Services all have them, and a few uh, well-heeled amateurs. Um, this lens, uh, they did some testing with it. From Midtown Manhattan, they were able to read the street signs on the corner of JFK Boulevard and 43rd Street in Weehawken, New Jersey, which oh, uh, is quite uh, uh, an amazing feat. And if you happen to have a non-full-frame uh, Canon um, uh, camera, like the, the, uh, the Rebel XTI or 40D or something like that, um, you can put a 2X extender on it, and it becomes a 3,840-millimeter F11 lens. <laughs> So, and you yeah. really, really need that in New York City, right? <laughs> oh, you do. Yeah, because there's interesting things going on in people's apartments that you want to photograph. So anyway, it was just kind of a, a fun thing to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess for wildlife. But, I mean, you know, I think even Scott Bourne would uh, think twice about uh, dropping $100,000 for a used uh, lens on uh, lens this one. But maybe if, if any of our TWIP listeners are thinking of purchasing, let us know um, how it works out. Excellent. We'll have you on the show for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, my pick of the week is uh, a, a camera strap, actually. And I, I think I may have touched on it a little bit in previous weeks when I first got it. But this thing is amazing. It's from a company called CameraSlingers.com, run by Candy Cunningham. And we'll put a link to her to this in the show notes, of course. But uh, it's essentially a dual DSLR or SLR camera strap that you you put on like a sling it's almost like one of those like i don't know 45 when you 45 vests where you you keep the the 45 under your arm there but it's uh it, it's kind of a harness that goes on and, and distributes the weight from two bodies with lenses uh to make them easy easily accessible and they sort of hang down to your left and right and when you want to use one you just sort of whip it to the front shoot with it drop it and it falls back back in place it's really interesting now steve you you had a chance to look at the site did you what did you think of it yeah, well, I mean, I tell you what, like, this is one of those things that, you know, is dangerously close to either you look like kind of a crazy geek or you're like the coolest guy ever or woman ever. Um, I might be but, both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like, I'm actually doing a shoot tomorrow, and I was in the camera store asking about this before I had actually seen the link that you uh, were telling me about. And and uh, yeah, I would love to kind of try it out because um, the the reality is, and particularly if you have to kind of dress up for a shoot, you're wearing a suit, tie, you got two cameras, one on each end. Your your tie and your neck is being you know moved from one end to the other, and uh, uh, so I mean, it looks like it would be kind of comfortable and kind of uh, uh, good to use. It is. You know? It's so, very comfortable, and it's it's strangely weird. I was on a shoot with uh, photographer Robert Evans a couple of weeks ago, and he had one. Uh, he, he had both camera bodies, I think they were uh, 5D Mark IIs, attached to either side with his sport coat on over over top of him. And you could barely tell that he, he even had any cameras. You know, he's just sort of walking around and, you know, whip one up, whoop, pull one up to the front and shoot and drop it and it's gone out of the way. So it was... Aaron pointed out, is it really $139 for this thing? I think it is. Yep. Yep. I mean, I tell you what, well, I mean, that sounds like a lot of money for a camera strap, but if you're a working professional and it makes your life easier, it, yeah. it might be worth investment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's either spend 139 bucks for this or drop one of your camera bodies or get one of your, you know, a slip disc or something from trying to carry all this yeah, stuff around. I'll admit I've paid more for lesser products in the photography oh my. world. Well, so, I, yeah. Sure, all our listeners have that same disease that we have, and that is, uh, you know, if it's something photographic, uh, money sometimes, uh, you know, $139 for a camera strap is not something that maybe uh, some of our the people closest to us would particularly, um, you know, find uh, yeah. a good idea. <laughs> but I'm with you guys, and I'll I support you. That. you need, when you order yours, Aaron, if you need me to talk <laughs> to your your wife, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I think talk, Aaron, Aaron talk used after up his, the five D. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Aaron, you used up your equity on that that Kindle, so you're. Uh, you gotta, no, no, talk to me after the five D Mark II. So, there you go. Ooh. We'll did you get one? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Soon. Okay. So, Aaron, you want to talk a little bit about the photo assignment and the, the poll? Certainly. Um, 
the uh, the poll actually is a continuation of last week because uh, we're a little late getting on the blog. Um, and the question in that case was, uh, you know, what is your the computer equipment behind your photo workflow? Is it a laptop, a desktop, or a combination of both? So please hit twiplog.com and cast your vote. Others have already piled in there. Um, the assignment, we're in week two of the assignment we announced last week, and that is the topic this time is personal space. Um, once again, interpret that how you will. Um, we tend to go for the non-obvious. And in, in mentioning that, uh, I will say that the... The last three photo assignments are now on the blog. The winners of the last three, we were derelict in getting those announcements out for a while and have been asked by many, many people uh, exactly what the story was there. So um, the last one from Spring, uh, Complex and Reflections are all three posted on the blog. There's a new sidebar link on the left side of the blog under the Navigate heading that will show you those and any future ones that we post, uh, including personal space here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and I will mention, too, that the interpretation of Spring was fantastic. And uh, the winner of that wrote to me just as we started the show to confirm that, yes, he did compose and shoot that to fit our kind of snarky references in, you know, in those weeks of what we were looking for in the, uh, in the Spring topic. So definitely check it out at twiplog.com. Excellent. Cool. Thanks a lot, Aaron. So the, the guest for today is a photographer by the name of David Dushman, and he has just released, or his, I think, uh, a new book called Within the Frame, The Journey of Photographic Vision. I have it in my hands right here, and it's, uh, it's an amazing book. And basically, when I, when I spoke to David, he, wanted, he was very clear that this is not a book about photography tips and techniques, because there are several of those out there. This is more about photographic vision and and sort of realizing through your images the location that you happen to be at rather than just sort of jumping in and getting the old tourist shots and that sort of thing. And the images in the book, this book kind of, I'm looking at it now, kind of straddles the line between a coffee table book and a kind of instructional book because he has uh, images in here and then he talks about decisive and indecisive moments and 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 how what he was going through when he made these particular images and sort of putting in perspective and how you could bring this into your work. So this is an interview with David, and uh, we'll just let it roll here. Come here with David Dushman. He's a photographer and now an author. And uh, <laughs> I just found out a couple seconds ago that he is also a comedian or was a comedian. So we're going to get into all that in this interview. But uh, I just want to extend a warm thank you to Mr. David Dushman. Thanks for coming on This Week in Photography. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Frederick. You're quite welcome. So let's just start from the way, way back, because I'm looking at this page right now that you sent me that has you in a green suit on it. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, you were a comedian before you moved into being a photographer. What's the deal with that? I I was indeed. It's uh, part of my sordid history. Um... I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, life takes us in interesting directions. And for the longest time, I, photography was my passion. And um, it just it didn't feel right to do it vocationally. I felt like if I, I did it as a career, sort of the demands of shooting weddings and all that sort of thing would, would suck the life out of me. And so I made a choice to, to kind of follow other paths and ended up uh, doing comedy for 12 years. And uh, it was deeply gratifying. Have no regrets about it. But there kind of came a time when I, I was sick of being in front of the camera, and I was tired of being on stage. And uh, I just I wanted to do something more. And I had a trip down to Haiti that kind of spun everything on its uh, on its heels. And I went down both as a comedian and as a, a photographer, doing a little pro bono work. And halfway through the trip, I met a little girl that my wife and I sponsor there, and uh, just changed everything for me. It suddenly I I knew the the stories I wanted to tell with my camera I had some focus um, and and a vision and a passion that was lacking from my photography up until then but you know it took me 20 years to find it so um, now I'm making up for lost time well what kind of what kind of things did you what what was your routine based on um, a lot of sarcasm. Um, I didn't know yeah. from you. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It was, it was very self deprecating. It was, it was, you know, my character was the rubber chicken guy and I was a, a mix between a stand up comic and a variety comic. I did, uh, I did juggling, I juggled flaming torches on a six foot unicycle and a straight jacket escape. And, and I did some magic and some improv and just a whole bunch of stuff. And it kind of poked fun at the entertainment industry and, uh, real clean. I was a family comic. I did, uh, shows toward the end of usually between 500 and 1500 uh people cross-generational kind of stuff wow that's amazing wow yeah. what, what what a journey yeah yeah it's you know that's 
life uh, zigs and zags. Yeah. So speaking of zigging and zagging, and coming up in the the next couple of days is the official release or official announcement of your book. But uh, apparently, it's in hands now because I have one in front of me within the frame. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what brought you to create this book? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was. Someone just asked me that the other day, and the best I could come up with was, you know, I, I was just bored and, um, you know, had nothing else to do. And uh, to, to some degree, you know what? That's that's kind of true. I um, I just I I love writing and I love teaching, and I was finding that having been off the stage for uh, for a number of years, um, I was just lacking a platform. And I do a lot of blogging, and I love the writing there. But um, my early photography was so heavily influenced by people like Freeman Patterson and his writings mm-hmm. um, that it was just, it was kind of oozing out of me. And, and when the opportunity came, I had this crazy idea. I thought, you know, what if, what if I created this book that, you know, was uh, not sort of a pedantic teaching tool that the boring kind of stuff and, and uh, did something that was a little more exciting. So I went on this adventure, this round the world adventure. I did five uh, countries in, in five weeks. Um, there are other images and other stories in the books, but book, but that was the sort of the backbone of the whole thing. Wow. And it was just this crazy what if, and I pitched it to uh, to the editor, and to my shock and horror, he uh, gave me a contract and said, go write the darn thing, and <laughs> um, I, I didn't know whether I was more excited or more terrified by the prospect, but, uh, you know, a year later, it's, uh, yeah, people are people are getting it, and it's, uh, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm still excited and still kind of terrified. So. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the hardest thing about putting together a photography book like this? Because holding this, looking through this book... Uh, I'm looking at it and it's it's kind of a cross between uh instructional is not so much how to recipes of how to make images but it seems like it's from the eyes of the pro and what you were thinking when you made these images and how you made them uh but the feel of the book is very much like a coffee table book but with some meat in it you know it's not just hey look at all these great images I made it's look at these great images I made and this is how I made them. (laughs) Why, why, why'd you go down that route instead of doing the traditional, just, Hey, I've been all over the world. And this is some of the stuff that came from that. You know, to be, to be honest, I have no idea. It was, it's, it's one of those things where I think every writer's got his own voice and his own personality. And, uh, my team at Peach Pit, I can't sing their praises, uh, highly enough. They just did such a great job and, and they really respected my voice. And, you know, if you read through it more closely, you know, there's sarcasm in the, in the captions and there's a lot of my personality in it. And I just, I really felt just like in a good image, there's a balance between impact and information. Mm-hmm. It has, you know, the, the, a book has to be inspiring or people won't read it. And um, so I wanted people to be able to read it on a number of different levels, you know, flip through it, read the pull quotes, look at the images and be inspired by that, be inspired by the stories, the captions, there's narrative elements, there's all kinds of kind of texture. But again, that's, it wasn't really a conscious decision. It was kind of like, you know, I'm ADD, um, not clinically, but, you know, that's my personality. I'm kind of all over the map. And I think the book is a little bit um, in a really positive way, kind of kind of ADD. It kind of, it, there's levels of, and texture to it that, you know, there's some seriousness and some humor and there's some, there's some solid, really solid instructional stuff and some meat. And then there's some levity and some, you know, some lightness. Very cool. So backing up a little bit, uh, here's a kind of a high level question. Why are you a photographer? Ooh, that's very existential, Frederick. Yeah, yes, it is. Why if, am I? <laughs> if you were a tree, which tree would you be? <laughs> uh, gee, uh, well, I'd be a, I don't know. Um, I, you know, sometimes you just got to censor yourself. Um, why am I? You know what? It's just when I was 14, I picked up a camera and it just made sense. Um, I love words. I love writing. Um but there are things that I can't express with with words, and the camera just kind of made sense. And, and I think to some degree I'm, I'm a bit of a neat freak and a control freak, and so the ability to fit kind of the chaos of the world into the frame, I think there's there must be something kind of psychological. I'm sure Freud or Jung would say something very profound about my need to fit the chaos of the world within the frame. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, honestly, I just, uh, it just clicked with me. Um, I, I, I like the gear. I'm a bit of a geek, and so I like the gear stuff. I like carrying a bunch of shiny, cool things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, I, I always remind people on my blog that gear is good and vision's better. Gear is good. If I didn't have my gear, I'd be 
I'd be drawing this stuff with a pencil, you know, yeah. uh, it's, and I wouldn't be a photographer. The gear is important and the better the gear is, the easier my craft is. But at the end of the day, it, I could shoot the images I shoot with a, you know, with a Leica or with a, you know, crappy point and shoot. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm way off track, track of your question, aren't I? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's good. So that that's a good segue into this other question. So on, on This Week in Photography, we for the past couple of weeks, we've been sort of talking and slightly debating about manual, you know, photographers that shoot on manual and if they are real photographers compared to, you know, the folks that, that shoot on aperture priority and, and those other things, essentially using the tool that's, you know, some of the features that are in the in the camera body that you're using. I personally shoot on aperture priority a lot of the time. What do you feel about that? You know, like, if you were going to answer the statement, are you a real photographer if you shoot on anything other than manual? What, what would you say to that? Um, <laughs> I, on, it, without sounding like a total pompous uh, jerk, I would say it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I think there are people out there that are shooting... Um, you know, probably on fully automatic and they are composing incredible images and yeah, they're real photographers. There are probably people out there that are shooting on manual that are still real photographers, but they're shooting total junk. Um, I think what's important is, you know, are, are you choosing the settings or is the camera choosing the settings that um, that create the aesthetic that you want out of an image. I use aperture priority all the time. Now I use it in conjunction with um, exposure value compensation. So I'm up and down all the time, but it, I, I don't really like the camera choosing my settings for me because it's not about how much light gets into the sensor. There's all kinds of different ways to do that. It's about the aesthetic uh, effect that my settings have on the image. So you know, if, if it's an aperture of 2.8 that's going to do it for me, that's going to give me that balance between uh, a background that's nicely blurred but still has enough detail to imply things about the setting, um, then I want to choose that, that aperture. I don't want the camera doing it, and when I look at it later, it's chosen to be at f8 and it's got all kinds of detail in it that I don't want so it really it's you know it's a question of uh, what's your vision for the image and what's the best tool and if you can do that on program mode or manual uh, more more power to you yeah so where's all this stuff going where where is photography going where where you know we've got cameras that that can do crazy things beyond what we could do just two or three years ago where are we going to be in 2015 that's a good question. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, a great image is still a great image. And um, many of us get so smokescreened by this whole technology issue that we forget that uh, this is a this is an, a craft of expression. Um, I'll leave whether my images are art up to someone else to figure out. But yeah. it's it is it is a craft, and it's about expression. Whether it's a simple emotion or even something you can't put into words, which is why a lot of us use cameras. It's about expression and. If you can do it with a Lomo, if you can do it with a holographic camera that captures at the blink of an eye, whatever the technology is going to be at the time, I think the reason we get into it, for the most part, is that we we love the expression. We love to put that stuff within the frame, whether we like to kind of order it within the frame, or maybe some some of us like to kind of deconstruct it and make the whole thing, you know, chaotic and. Yeah. I, I think at the, at the end of the day, no matter whether it's 100 years from now or 100 years ago, it's about taking the technology we have and using it as a means of expression. So I don't know, you know, but but on a basic level, we're not changing. Are the things that we love to express about our interaction with this world and with beauty and harmony and or as a journalist about ugliness and, and unkindness and unfairness and all these, you know, things that we, a lot of journalists get into it because they want to make a difference in the world. Uh, those things aren't going to change. I mean, our core needs and our the things, the world around us isn't going to change. It's just a means of how. And I kind of, I spent a lot more time talking about why, why we're doing this stuff. Y you can do it a hundred ways. The how is always changing, but the why is, you know, why always drives the how. Right. And one thing that won't change is light, you know, at least not perceivably in our lifetimes, just the fact how fast light travels and the the physical and uh, physical properties of light that stuff doesn't change just the way that we are able to catch capture it is changing yeah well I, you know our two raw materials are light and time yeah and i mean it, it doesn't get more elemental than that and so um you know the more we the more we develop technologically the more ability we have to to capture this stuff but i i don't really see it changing why we do what we do just how we do it 
Well, what ex- what advice would you give to the TWIP audience, photographers that are looking to go out there and and kind of do what you do, travel to these exotic locations or maybe not so exotic, and and capture what they're feeling and what they see when they get there? What what would you tell them? I would tell them the first thing they need to do is buy many copies of my book. Many, <laughs> many, many copies. Um, to, you know what? The best thing that any photographer can do is not mistake. You know, the Internet is so full of arguing and debating, and, and we mistake arguing about photography for the actual act of photography. Yeah. And I would say don't, don't get blindsided by all that stuff. I mean, it's interesting. It's fun. It probably leads to far too many, you know, broken friendships. And, but... Uh, at the end of the day, all of this is just, it's about creating images. So go and create images, whatever. Don't, you know, we find ourselves lying to ourselves all the time or, or being lied to, you know, and, oh, if I only had the, the next camera, if I only had the, this sensor, if, you know, and we're so concerned about creating bigger images that it's, I think, rare that we stop and go, you know, maybe I should be creating better images. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about the iPhone. People are out there shooting with this, I, I was going to say crappy little camera, but it's really not that bad. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it, it takes away all of that, you know, there's no lenses to put on. There's no, it's just, it's a crappy little camera and you, but you got it in your pocket. And I think that's such a, a bonus to us because at the end of the day, this is just about creating images. So my advice, wherever you are, whether you travel around the world to take your pictures or travel around the corner, just photograph a lot of it and become as conscious as you can about the things that you're really passionate about. You know, if you're not passionate about air shows or dog shows, don't go shoot them. Don't, you know, just shoot what you love. Joe McNally says that in his book. And there's a couple things in my book that are are similar in in that sense that I really believe that, you know, why waste your time shooting stuff that you don't like? Go find something you love and shoot it. And, you know, or if you're shooting stuff you don't love, find a way to express how much you don't like through your, you know, that thing through your images. But just get out and shoot a lot of frames. The more frames you can shoot, you know, the, the, the better your craft becomes. Well, the man is David Dushman, and the book is Within the Frame, The Journey of Photographic Vision. It's available now, right? Because by the time this airs, it will uh, be officially available to folks. It is already shipping from Amazon. Yes. So definitely check it out. We will link to it in the show notes. Um, But if you don't want to go there, just go search for Within the Frame on Amazon.com or head over to PeachPitPress.com and... It's there as well. David, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This is, uh, it's been awe inspiring again. I know this is our second, just, just full disclosure, this is our second time doing this interview because I was too long winded on the first time through. So we had to record it again to squeeze it into a shorter period of time. So thanks a lot for being flexible. My pleasure. Thank you, Frederick. You're welcome. Okay, so that was David Dushman. If you want to check out some of his work or look at that book or order that book, you'll uh, just check the links in the show notes or do a search for him on Amazon.com or PeachPitPress.com. Now I think we're going to jump into some listener questions. And the first question is to me. And it's uh, from a listener that goes by the name of Carl Sanford. He wants to know, he says he recently enlisted it in the Army and wants my opinion as to a good camera that he can take with him. Now, he's not a photographer in the Army. Uh, he's Rather, he's, uh, he's expecting to branch into infantry after he completes officer candidate school. Um, so my suggestion would be that if his primary goal is not photography and he just wants something that's going to be convenient, the most, the best camera that you can bring with you is you know something that you're actually going to bring with you. So if you have a gigantic bag with a DSLR in it and a bunch of lenses, that sort of makes whenever you take that camera out, it becomes part of the the journey, you know. And the the purpose for going out is is, is I don't know at least as equal to bringing the gear with you. So I would suggest getting something smaller like a like a Canon G10 or a G9 or something that you're always going to take with you. It shoots raw, shoots video, and it's relatively small in a small package that you can get some really professional looking shots with. So, you know, always, if you're going to bring a camera, even my iPhone camera, it, uh, lots of times it's the only camera that I have with me, which means it's the best camera. And uh, Aaron, you said you wanted to mention someone else on this Oh, yes. Well, we've uh, we've mentioned him many times, and we're actually going to have him on the show here fairly soon. Uh, Lieutenant Tyler Ginter, 
as uh, a good friend of TWIP. And uh, when this question came in, I also passed a copy to him um, because he shoots for the military uh, now and, and actually oversees an entire group that does that. And uh, his recommendations, uh, we'll post his um, his response here later as well because there's a lot of detail in it. Um, and he was mentioning, too, the Panasonic LX3 um, if he wanted to use a point-and-shoot. Uh, but on the flip side, he was also saying that uh, if size and all isn't going to be a problem as far as carrying the gear, uh, he actually recommends that with the L-Glass that, uh, that Carl Sanford owns uh, to purchase a 5D Mark II and that in a lot of cases, um, you know, that extra equipment is also appreciated as far as, I, I guess, from what I gather here, intelligence gathering and all on a mission. So, you know, maybe things are more flexible as far as uh, folks carrying cameras in the military than I suspected. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting to know what he actually picks and uh, what, he, what he purchases to take with him. So please do keep in touch. And the next question is up for you, Aaron. You want to talk about that? Uh, yes, this is from uh, David Parker, and uh, he says, Guys, I need some help. I want to create a photo book. However, I want a high-quality book, one with heavy paper just like the ones I buy at the store. Uh, he says he's not been real happy with the quality of the books from Apple and is hesitant to uh, try some run-of-the-mill photo processing site for a book. So do we have any recommendations? Um, my first question would be, uh, how recently... Uh, have you used uh, the Apple service? Because I will say, and we've mentioned it in the show back, it's probably been a few months actually, but there was definitely a transition in there where Apple really stepped things up a good bit um, in terms of the quality of the output, particularly I believe from Aperture. And uh, so just kind of get a ballpark there. You can look back through our show notes and find out where we talked about that. Just do a search on the blog. And, uh, you know, if, if what you did before was prior to that date, you know, maybe you could give them another try with a smaller one and see, you know, if the quality has improved. And if it's, you know, the weight of the paper and all, I don't know if that changed, but I do understand that the actual image quality improved uh, substantially with an update that they did back some months ago. Beyond well, that, though... I'm just going to say that indications with the Aperture um, book uh, is that, yeah, people are really, really happy with the quality now because that was uh, something they addressed at that time. Uh, right. So uh, I wonder if, if this was an older book that he had seen. Sure. So, yeah, definitely like him to, to kind of consider you know, the time when he did the last one and, you know, whether it was iPhoto or Aperture that was used at the time. Um, the other recommendation I would make, and, and I can't recommend this personally from experience yet, but every indication I see is that you know, satisfaction levels are tremendous, and it's certainly the next product I'm going to try, and that is output from a company called Blurb. Mm. Uh, Blurb apparently does fantastic work. The examples I've seen online are, are dynamite. Um, they are truly coffee table, you know, quality books, from what I understand. And uh, their entire mechanism for doing the the design, the publishing, the actual ability to sell your books online through Blurb, um, you know, all that type of thing, looks to be fantastic. They have a, a, it's I believe it's written in Java, but you know, it runs on the desktop like you know any good solid application across Mac and PC and so on. And they have an entire layout program that you download for free. Uh, where you can do all your book layout. So this is something that gets outside of Aperture, iPhoto, uh, Lightroom. You know, products that may or may not support that internally doesn't matter. You can run this as a standalone application and do a, a very detailed book design. And uh, the prices seem quite reasonable, but from everything I've heard from people, the quality, the weight of the paper, the hard covers, everything on them are, are top-notch, you know, like you'd expect to pick up at a Barnes & Noble. So uh, certainly that's my recommendation is to check them out. Cool. And Steve Simon, I think the next question has your name all over it. Uh, yeah, James Thornton uh, asked a question about, um, as an amateur photographer, um, family members uh, often will ask him to do various um, kinds of events, big events in the, in the lives of the family. And one that was noted was uh, a christening, which is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Um, now, I'm not entirely clear if this is him or, or someone else, but he, he basically... I think it's someone else asking him, actually. Oh, okay, you know, fair enough. Yeah. He's so, a professional so, photographer, so... Yeah. yeah. So, the, an amateur photographer who is asked by a family member to do a very big event, like a wedding or um, a christening, for example, and that photographer, that amateur, does not feel uh, really comfortable in taking on the responsibility of, you know, not missing that moment... Um, how do you handle that? And, uh, you know, I, I, if I understand the question correctly, and maybe Aaron, you'll jump in after, but I, I would just say that, uh, you know, to be honest and say, look, I'm, I'm not comfortable 
being the only photographer there, if this is something you absolutely must have, you may consider um, hiring someone um, to do this professionally. I'll be happy to back them up or just take my, my own pictures. Um, it's, it's asking a lot of someone, especially, you know, if, if uh, and then chances are things will be okay. But if, if they don't get, if, if they're not happy, if the family's not happy with the resulting images, uh, it's just, it's never a, a good situation. So, you know, that, you know, if it's a once in a lifetime thing, maybe it's worthwhile um, hiring someone to, to do it. And, and Aaron, you had some good points that you were going to raise too. No, I, I think you nailed the question, Steve. I mean, that's, that's absolutely the case. And I think a lot of TWIP listeners have probably run into this situation where, you know, you're the avid photographer in, in your circle of friends or family and, and are, are likely very skilled and everybody recognizes that. So you're going to be the one that gets that, you know, can you come shoot our wedding? Can you come shoot our child's christening? And, and so on. And, and the pressure there, you know, a lot of times is you, you don't want to, you know, drop the ball on that once in a lifetime event. So I, I, I totally see where the question's coming from. I, I personally don't shoot weddings if I can possibly avoid it for the most part because I, I don't like the stress that goes with it, to tell you the truth. It's just kind of not my scene. Um, but the, the advice I would have, too, in addition to that, I think Steve's approach is definitely the best one. If, however, you are going to embark on it, you do want to take the pictures, um, you know, see if you can find an opportunity to, to go to wherever this is going to happen ahead of time uh, with you know, some people, stand-ins or whatever, and do some test photography there. I mean, get a sense of the light, uh, get a sense of the scene, take a zillion test shots. I mean, we're talking digital here. You're not going to have to have film processed. So shoot away and get a feel for it so that you at least feel prepared, you know, before the event and will, you know, increase the odds of, of getting, you know, much better results rather than walking into it cold. And the other, the other thing I might say to someone who's, you know, forced to do something they're not comfortable with is to maybe set their ISO to a higher uh, sensitivity, one that maybe, you know, isn't necessarily ideal. So if it's if you can get away with 400 and you shoot it at 1600, you're sure to get a fast enough shutter speed, or maybe even just a little bit of extra depth of field, so that you're going to deliver uh, something that's sharp and clear, um, even though it might be a little bit more uh, noisy but at yeah. least you're going to get the image great advice noise could be dealt with a whole lot easier than <laughs> blurred yeah. image with no depth of field so. very cool well i think i think we're gonna bring it to an end here steve i wanted to give you the chance since you're fresh off of your uh your trip to uh yellowstone if you could tell us one thing from that trip that you learned as your, sort of your tip of the week you know one thing that you took away from the adventure Okay. Well, you know, I told I I took away a lot from it. I took away, um, you know, just how how passionate and 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 sponge like these uh, winners were in terms of wanting to get uh, as much information as they can from from all of us. But uh, as I said earlier, the one thing that I kind of was reminded, and that is, uh, as great as autofocus is, um, you still have to be careful. And that was one situation I hadn't really found myself in. Uh, perhaps in a very, very long time, and that was you know a certain kind of precipitation, which was this thick snow that was completely throwing my autofocus out of whack and At first, it took me a while to realize what was going on because I, I thought, ah, oh, I must have you know had a problem here, but it was just uh, you know it, it's not going to be it 's not going to work with everything, and as wonderful as our automatic cameras are. Um, Experience will, you know, be your guide out of those difficult situations, and you'll realize that um, you're going to have to maybe manually focus to get what you want in focus, um, and and override the automation. So uh, I think there there's a comfort zone that we we get in. We we get so we start to take for granted some of the uh, amazing features that our equipment, uh, you know does stuff for us and uh, there's no substitute for 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 having that experience and being able to react you yeah know, in the field. and i would add on to that uh some folks of course renting lenses is great uh but i know some folks that came on the trip brought lenses that they had just got their hands on like right before the trip and had to sort of get their brain around what the capability of the lens was before you know, actually live while we're out in the park. So I would suggest if you're going to rent a lens or get a lens, make sure you spend a day or so with it, getting intimate with it before you go out on some uh, location where you where you need to produce. And uh, I think that's it. I think that brings us to the end of the show. Steve, where can where can people find you if they want to see more of your work or learn more about you? 
Um, well, they can find me at stevesimonphoto.com, which is my website, and I have some books for sale, so if anyone's interested, they can check that out, and some prints. I'm, I'm trying to make money like the, the, the rest of us, uh, and it's, you know, I've been talking to some photographers these days, and uh, it's, it's tough out there. There's one a commercial photographer whose name I won't mention, but is probably someone that people know, and uh, for many, many years was, was doing very well uh, with, uh, in the editorial wor- world. And, you know, he said he was, he was making like $15,000 a month as professional, a high-end professional wow. doing editorial. But uh, in the last couple of years, um, you know, things have really kind of slowed down. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough market out there for those in the audience that are thinking of becoming professional. The best advice I could give you is to um, have a lot of money <laughs> so that you don't... <laughs> You don't really need it. And, you know, in many ways, um, to really experience the pure joy and passion that you feel for photography, um, it's best to, to maybe have another source of income so that you don't have to uh, uh, take the shine off that joy by having to worry about uh, survival. And it's, it's, it's tough out there. So I don't know how I got to that from this. It you sounds like you're, just saying, you're saying keep your day job. Is that what you're trying exactly, to say? Exactly. <laughs> and Twitter. Uh, Twitter slash Steve Simon. Love the Twitter. Excellent. And Aaron Mailer, where can people find you? You can find me on my blog at halfpress.com, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S.com, and certainly on Twitter. More on Twitter than my blog lately. Also Half Press. Excellent. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my blog, frederickvan.com, or on Twitter by the same name, twitter.com slash frederickvan. And with that, uh, I think it's time. Hey, Fred? To, uh-oh. Can we- I just wanted to do a shout-out because I realized I didn't mention the names. We didn't mention the names of, of the people that were um, on the, the workshop with us. Brilliant. And Thank you for stopping from, me. You, <laughs> sorry. You go, Steve Simon. <laughs> well, and I just shout-out to, to um, Olga and Aura and Kathy and Gary and Scott. And uh, I feel like Romper Room. Remember Romper Room? <laughs> who, am I, who am I missing? Uh, and Brian, of Brian. course, Brian. Brian, who got the amazing shot of his life, that Kessler. The amazing shot of his life, and I was in the car with him. And you know what? It's it's rare, you know, in the course of time, how many of those amazing shots, those magical moments are there in, in, in a year even of shooting? And, there, and from my perspective, not very many. But Brian was trying to get this one bird, a Kestrel, I think it is. Uh-huh. And it's been, for 10 years, he's been trying to get a shot of this. And he ended up uh, getting his kind of dream shot. And I was like in the back. I was like, you know, sort of stealing his dream shot too because I had my, can- my camera. <laughs> Didn't quite get it as good as he did. But, Yours uh, came out more of as a nightmare shot, I think. His exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, I mean, it was really cool to see this genuine moment that was happening, you know, beyond. I mean, he's a bird photographer, and this was something he'd been trying to get for such a long time, and yep. he, he nailed it. So, anyway, I just wanted to shout out. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, thanks to all those folks, and also thanks to Mr. Scott Bourne for pulling it all together. So, cool. All right, that's the end of the show. I think it's time for folks to take that lens cap off. 